in my father's house of many Moneo. And that's the Greek word for mansion. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. John 14, 2. We all get to heaven. What a day that's going to be. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14. And just stand with me. I'm going to read uh, in John 14, the first, let's see. Yeah, the first three verses. Okay, hear the word of God as recorded in John 14, in the first three verses. Thus it reads, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Thus in the reading of the word of God, may God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, we come this afternoon giving you thanks and praising you as our Father. And Lord, as we come now to this extraordinary, well-known portion of the scripture, Lord, we pray that your spirit, you will make it meaningful to us. Once again, Lord, illuminate the eyes of our heart of your holy word and open our ears, Lord, that we may hear wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you go back and look at John chapter 13, you will see in there why Jesus was speaking to his disciples in regards to let not your heart be troubled. And in those verses prior to that, John 13, Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. And also, Jesus in John 13 predicted the betrayal of one of his disciples, which we all know is Judas. And also in John 13, Jesus predicts as well the denial of Peter. And then he rose into chapter 14 with these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, instead of the disciple lending support to Jesus in an hour of him going to the cross, Jesus is supporting his disciples spiritually as well as emotional, which reveal Jesus' servant heart. And he used the word trouble. And what he's encouraging them to do is faith in him can stop the heart from being agitated. 
Let not your heart be agitated. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now notice that word that say, let not your heart be troubled. And basically what he's doing is referring to Peter. We know how this thing played out in regards to Judah, Judas. And we know if Judas had seeked and asked for forgiveness, he perhaps would have received that. But be as it may, it was ordained for him to do what he did. But he is telling Peter, based on what I just predicted by you, don't let your heart be troubled. So Jesus, having just told him of his imminent denier of his Lord, but also the larger reference in that is to all the disciples as well as us here this afternoon. Do not let your heart be agitated by circumstances and situation. That's the implication. So Jesus' comfort also includes instruction about his departure, the ascending of his Holy Spirit, the promise of spiritual power, the answer to prayer and peace, but especially the promise of his return because he's going away to prepare a place for them. Now, that verse 1 to me is one of the most used scripture in the Bible when it comes to funerals. When Jesus spoke this to his disciples, they had great sorrow in their hearts because they had just been told that Jesus would soon leave them. And as I brought to your attention earlier, uh, notice the very first word say, let. And the word means that these disciples, and we as well, have the power to let. Let me say that again. Notice the very first word says, let. And that word indicates that these disciples, as well as you and I, have the power to let our heart be troubled. But Jesus is saying, he is telling these disciples, you have in your power to not let your heart be troubled. You have in your power to not let your heart be agitated. Now, don't do it. This is the command that he's given to those disciples. This very moment at this particular time that he is getting ready to go to the cross because he has assured them, he has promised them some things. And he wants them to believe in him. And we are issue from our heart. It appears from the very first verse that we have the power to not be troubled in our heart. Faith is the opposite of fear. If we trust God, we know that everything that happened to us is for our good. If we are Christian, Jesus knows these men believe in God. His only concern at this moment is that their faith in him, being Messiah, will be shaken when he is crucified. 
And Jesus saying to them, remember, I am God the Word and God the Son. He is saying, don't let this apparent defeat cause you to doubt who I am. That's what he's saying. And, 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 and think of the, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, you have those nine fruits. And, and the first three is love, joy, and peace. Those are fruits that you have within. Those are your inner fruit. Your love from God, your joy from God, your peace from God. And, and then there are some outward fruits. And those outward fruits is patience, kindness, and goodness. And you don't have to be patient with yourself. You have to be patient with other people. You don't have to be kind to yourself, but you want to be kind to other people. So let me just say this in regard to patience. Patience is enduring irritation and painful situation inflicted by someone else. So that's what patience is. It's towards someone else. God gives you patience that you may have that towards someone else who has inflicted pain upon you. And he is saying, don't let your heart be agitated. Don't let your heart be troubled. Look at him. Keep your eyes on him. So if we trust God, we know that everything that happened to us is for our good. Jesus knows these men believe in him. His only concern at this moment is that their faith in him, being Messiah, will be shaken when he is crucified. So Jesus is saying to them, remember who I am. Now look at that verse 2. Now he's going to say, now this is a promise that he's making to him. He's saying, in my father's house are many rooms. You know, your Bible might be saying mansion, King James or whatever. Uh, that's, that's probably King James. Uh, I think that's how mine read. But I'm reading from the ESV here. And then he say, if it was not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and believe it or not, I believe that the Father House is this vast universe that we are living in. He created this, he made it. And in this house, this universe, he takes care of us and he oversees us. He is our father. But we know that he is talking about the rapture. He is talking about something different. So if you look at it as a mansion, he made that mansion and he knows exactly how many rooms is in it. And that verse, too, is a beautiful statement here to all believers in Christ. All the believers in Christ are the bride of Christ. And when you hear me speak of the natural, it's always first and then the spiritual. And, and let me just kind of share a real good illustration with you. And as we read verse 2 above, it brings to mind the Jewish culture. And having looked at this Jewish culture, when a Jewish man and a woman are betrothed, the groom goes away to build a home for the bride. They are betrothed. He knows this is his wife in the future, so now he goes back and he's going to build 
a home for the bride. Well, guess what? We are the bride of Christ. Jesus has gone back to build a home for us. And I'm looking at the natural, and Jesus is using this spiritual analogy based upon what transpires in the Jewish culture. So now, when the father examine the home and say it's ready, the groom comes back to the edge of the city and he blows the trumpet on the side of the mountain and the bride comes out to the groom. Now just think, that is a beautiful picture. In the natural realm, that's how it happened in the culture of Israel. When a young man is betrothed to a young lady, he goes back, he prepares and builds a house. His dad looks at it and says, son, the house is ready. He goes back and gets the bride, but he blows the trumpet. Now think about that. When Jesus comes in the air, he is going to blow the trumpet, and the bride is going to rise up to him. Amen. And that's where Jesus is speaking from, from a spiritual point of view, because this is how it operates in the culture of the Jewish people. He, he always taken things out of their culture that they understood, just like we talked about this morning, bread. And he made a spiritual connotation of it. So he's doing the same thing in regards to coming back for his bride. And that is us. And he will come back when the Father says, it is time. Jesus is away now preparing rooms for his bride. He is preparing a place for us, and when his father says this time is right, he will come back for us and take us home to be with him. The glory of heaven belongs only to those who have personally trusted Christ for their salvation. Christians who work to win souls are gathering friends who will spend eternity with them in heaven. Now look at John 14.3. And Jesus going to say, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. There where I am, there ye may be also. Now Jesus' departure would be for their advantage. Since he was going away to prepare a heavenly home for them and will return to take them so that they may be with him. This is one of the passage that refers to the rapture for the saints. At the end of the age. This is what Jesus is talking about. That's the period of time that he's talking about. Now. I may be wrong. But I would like to think that. When death does occur. He comes for the saints. But I know for a fact that this is talking about the rapture as of right now. I know that to be a fact. So the features in this description do not describe Christ coming to earth with his saints to establish his kingdom, but rather this describes his coming to gather his own who are alive and raise the body of those who have died to take them all to heaven. After being raptured, the church will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they will be rewarded and later return to earth with Christ when he comes again and set up his kingdom 
and the saints will rule and reign with him there in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, the title of my sermon is What We Will Be Doing in Heaven. Now, I am not going to spend a lot of time elucidating on those things, but I'm going to throw out some that you can see that heaven is not what we perhaps think it is. And perhaps you would hear people say that heaven is boring, but it's really, really not. And uh, so the Bible doesn't answer all our questions about heaven, but it does tell us that heaven will be a place of supreme happiness and joy. You can be sure that God will supply us with everything we ever need to make us happy. So as I said earlier, do not make the mistake to think that heaven is boring. Listen to Psalm 1611. It says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. So everything good, enjoyable, refreshing, fascinating, and interesting is derived from God. God promised us that. To be in his presence will be the very opposite of boredom. So I'm going to need your help this afternoon. And we're going to just look at some things that we are going to be doing in heaven. So take out your Bibles with me and kind of help me out. And we'll make some comments on some scripture. And they are not in any particular order. But first and foremost, then let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. And as Dennis is looking that up, only God is omniscient. When we die, we see things far more clearly and we will know much more than we know now. But we will never know everything. And read that verse now. Okay, so when the perfect comes, you see what is saying that we know Jesus is perfect, you know, he has come. But the implication is we don't know everything and we're going to learn while we are in heaven. And as that verse say, that. So what child of God has not looked forward to the time when the Lord will answer all the questions that he has wondered about in this life? In fact, about it, I have heard some of you from time to time that you want to inquire and ask particular saints questions. We will be learning things in heaven. And I see a few heads shaking. And it's obviously that we will be singing in heaven. I, I think we all know that. In fact, about it, we probably think that's the only thing that we're going to be doing. But I'm trying to pull out some things that that's really not the case. 
So Pastor Kidd, look at Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 5 for me. And you often heard me say, Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 5. And you often heard me say, I wonder where the church will be without singing. If we remove singing out of the church, what would it be like? You know, that's praise and worship up to God. In fact about it, the songs that we sing are scripture songs. Read uh, Revelation 15, 2 through 5 for me. So you kind of see we will be uh, singing in heaven. Turn over Pastor Revelation 7, 9 for me and read that for me. See? You know, so singing, if you look at our bulletin, it's titled, you know, our worship service. And our worship service consists of singing. And we will be worshiping in heaven. So worship is something we will be doing in heaven. Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, the Father seeketh such to worship him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. If the Father want people to worship him while here on earth, it will not change when we get to heaven. And John wrote, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven singing, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Revelation 19.1. And they sung it were a new song before the throne. Revelation 14.3. And they sing of the song of Moses, as you just heard, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Revelation 15.3. Okay. Now think about this here. Uh, Mike Daniel, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 for me. And as Mike looking at that, let me just make a comment in regards to, you know, I have a work down here may not be pleasant work in some aspects, but you're going to see that we will work in heaven. So read that 1 Corinthians 6, 3 for me. Mm-hmm. Now, when I look at that, I look at that as work, but it's not going to be boring work or painful work. We're going to judge angels because they were servants to us. Even though we were made a little lower than angels, but they minister to the peoples of God. The angels. So angels are there to serve the saints while on earth and they will serve us in glory as well. So the idea of working in heaven is foreign to many peoples, yet scripture clearly teaches it 
When God created Adam, he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work was part of the original Eden. It was part of a perfect human life. You got to understand that. That was perfection when God put him in the garden and that was perfect human life. You remember over in Matthew chapter 25 when when the master had left and he gave, I think, three servants some talents? You remember that story? So the master went away, not knowing when he would return, and then when he returned, he assessed the situation, and what did he say to two of those? He said, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the master, and as you were over a few things, I will give you what? Rule over what? You see? So there's work to do there in heaven, guys. But the work is not going to be sin and fest. It's going to be enjoyable work. And then that's what he told those people. You were faithful over a few things. I am going to make you faithful over many. And that was a parable that he was telling that has spiritual connotation. And remember, God himself is a worker. He didn't create the world and then retire. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day. And Jesus said, I am too, am working. Jesus found great satisfaction in his work. Because he said, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So we will work in heaven. But rather than dread the thought of labor and suffer the physical pain from grueling work, we will enjoy our work. The curse will be gone and his servant shall serve him. Larry, read our Revelation 22, 3 for me. Revelation 22, 3. And notice what I just said. The curse will be gone, but work will be good. What did it say? His what? His servants will work, worship him. What is a servant? It's a worker. It's a bond slave. Exactly what he said. He's a worker. That's a worker. A bond slave. If you look at the Greek. But one thing I did kind of notice. And listen to this. God has different things for different peoples to do. God made each of us unique with a special ministry and responsibility. Each of us in our own right 
has a purpose and design for what God has called us to do. Now listen to this. There are many distinct groups in heaven, all unique in their responsibility before God. For instance, the 24 elders are crowned, enthroned, and seated. Revelation 14. The 144,000 from the tribulation have no crown or thrones and are standing up and singing a song that no one else knows but them. And it goes on to say in Revelation 14.2, the song of the 144,000 sound like a great rushing water and loud pedestal of thunder. It is joy fulfilled. And that's in Revelation 14.2. Oh, Jared, uh, look at 2 Timothy 2.12 for me right quick. And Larry just read one where we are servants and we are workers. But listen to 2 Timothy 2.12 that Jared is going to read for us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. Yes, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Listen, listen to that. That we suffer with him, we also will reign with him. I consider that work. We're going to reign with him. Mike, look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Right quick for me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Same thing. That's the implication. We're going to sit on the throne and reign with him. Work to do in heaven. But it's not infested, as I said, with sin. Also, we are going to, some of these could be redundant, serving Mike, while you were looking at that Revelation 3.21, turn over to Revelation 22.3 for me right quick. There you go. Worship him. Okay. Now here's one here that a question was posed to me. And we're going to kind of look at this particular one. And, and then I'm just going to throw some out there and we'll kind of close up. Uh, David, uh, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 3 for me. And buddy, look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 3 for me. I'll, no, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Yeah, 17, verse 3. I believe that is correct. Uh, David, read that on uh, Matthew 16, 3. Yes. Okay, that's... That was my fault there. Uh, turn over to Revelation 22.4 right quick for me, David. But buddy, you got 17.3? Yeah. Read that for me. And also look for that uh, Revelation 22.4 for me. Okay, so now you can kind of see here this scene here where Moses and Elijah appear with him. They are dead have passed on, but now you see a reunion taking place here, and you see fellowship right here. 
Say that again. And, and we will know them. Read that 22 or 4 from David. Let's see how that goes. Hmm. They will see his face and their name will be on his forehead. Uh, look at Revelation 19.9 for me. Mm-hmm. See, blessed are those who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So here's a reunion of God peoples here. And this is what I'm trying to get to is, is fellowship. There will be <laughs> fellowship in, in heaven. And, and scripture give, and, and this gentleman just said, he's, and we will know them. And so scripture give no indication of a memory white causing us to not recognize family and friend in heaven. If you recall, Paul anticipated being with the Thessalonians in heaven. And if you look at Revelation chapter 7, uh, verse 17, it, it talks about, now listen to this right here. Someone, uh, uh, Mike Daniel, read Revelation seven seventeen for me. Now think about that. Now they say there will be no pain in heaven, no sin in heaven, no this in heaven, no that in heaven. But read that again. What is that about? Say, say that again. No sadness. But why are they crying? You know why I asked that is, I was reluctant to say something but I think Jim is correct, and I think what she is saying, the joy when they see him, and, and we talked about the wounds and stuff, when they see all of this and realize it was their sin that did this, and he's going to just wipe away those tears and say, hey, everything is okay. Everything is okay. Everything is okay. I like that. And I really had struggled with that one, looking at it when I read that. You know, there's nothing negative in he heaven. To me, tears are negative, but it makes sense. When they see the glory of God and see him as he is and see those wounds in his hand, in his side, in his feet, to know that my sin did that to him, he's he going to wipe that away. My son, it's okay. You with me now. Wow. That could be an interpretation of it. I'm here at the expense of the death of Jesus Christ. And as she sung this morning, and as she was singing that song this morning, I was thinking of Rahab. And they called Rahab the what? What is my name? What is my name? <laughs> Francis, what? That's it. That's it. When I was sitting there this morning, I was wondering all the weird things that I have done what is my name? And I was thinking, Rahab the harlot. She didn't lose that. 
And when she was singing that, I was saying, Morris the sinner, saved by grace. Morris the sinner, saved by grace. Now here's one here, and like I say, I'm going to throw some out there and we'll just kind of walk away. We all know, and we just read earlier, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're all going to be what in heaven? Eating. <laughs> we're all going to be eating in heaven. Now here's another one here, and you don't really think about it. But David, read uh, 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 Revelation 14, 13 for me. And while David is looking for Revelation 14, 13... Think about, uh, uh, Mike Johnson, look at uh, Matthew 5, 3 for me as well. And, and, and think about rest. In heaven, of all the things that we've been talking about, there's going to be blissful rest for us. Read that uh, uh, Revelation 14, 13 for me, David. They may rest from their labor. And we know blessed is happiness. A state of bliss. We're going to rest in heaven. Listen to the one Mike Johnson is going to read. That's it. The poor in spirit. We're going to rest in heaven. We are going to rest in heaven. And one of the results of sin was the curse of toil and sweat in a life of work. When we arrive in heaven, we will continue to work, but the agony of labor will be gone. And as David read, blessed are the dead which died in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, said the spirit, that they may rest from their labor. And it goes on to say, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. So I just wanted to kind of throw out some things of what we will be doing in heaven because the question was posed to me last Sunday. And as I walked away, I really began to to, to think about that a lot. And as I thought about that, I was really surprised of some of the things that I came across in my reading. And, and something was very, very surprising. You know, especially when I, I kind of look at that Matthew 25, where Jesus welcomed them with the word, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you faithful over many things. That really kind of got me to thinking. Because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth created. And, and, and you got to go back because when they talk about the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, and you look at open revelation, you don't see a mass difference between the two. The new heaven and new earth is without sin. So I'm of the basic belief that everything that we see 
it's not going to be a lot different. And we're going to be constantly on the move. So with that said, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Familiar as it is, Lord, we just ask you again to write it up on our hearts and give us a blessing, we pray, as we gaze into the Father's eyes. For Jesus' name, all God's sake, people say amen.